Hello everyone, welcome to Arthaniti. I'm Shekhar Tomar. We are thrilled to have Nitin Kamath with us today. Nitin is the founder and CEO of Zeroda, a firm that revolutionized stock trading in India and made it accessible to a lot of people. Nitin, with his key insights about finance and psychology, has built a very successful enterprise and has also motivated a lot of future traders and investors. So we are very happy to have you here, Nitin. Thank you for your time. Welcome to Arthaniti. Oh, thanks, Shigar, for having me here. <laughs> so I think you started your journey in the finance field for almost, I guess, more than 20 years now. And you started as a day trader. And I think it's the most difficult place to make money. Like, is it more difficult now or has it always been difficult? No, day trading is, you know, it's, it's probably the toughest place on the planet to make easy money. It, it gives you an illusion that it's easy. But I think the only easy thing about day trading is opening an account. Because, you know, which, uh, but otherwise it's, it's law of the jungle. Because day trading is a zero-sum game, right? So, so it, what it essentially means is you're competing with everyone else, right? So while on one side it might be a retail investor, but he has to understand that on the other side it could be some PhD in math, you know, with access to unlimited money and computation power. You know? So it's, it's hard, you know, it's, um, it's really hard making money day trading. <laughs> So is it hard even if there is a momentum and let's say the overall stock is going up, even then it's a zero-sum game or sometimes it can be? No, there are two things, right? As in a day trader is in a, in a, in a trade for a few minutes, right? I mean, you're, as an investor, you could be a short-term investor. So, you know, all of us decide to buy a stock, the stock goes up, we all make money, right? But in day trading, you're in it for three to five minutes or 10 minutes, right? As in, so, so I'm buying, you're selling, you're selling, I'm buying. So there's always a counter. There is no net everyone making money. In day trading, if someone's making, someone's losing, right? As in, and also what it makes uh, harder is that in all of this, every time you trade, you lose money in terms of brokerage costs, you lose money in terms of, you know, transaction charges, in terms of the government taxes, etc. So it's like almost, you know, if someone's playing poker, it's like a rake, you know, in the sense, yeah. every hand, you know, the, the little bit of our money keeps going away. So it, makes it even more harder because... Uh, but is it similar to poker? Because I guess over there, the numbers are something like 5 to 10% of the poker players actually make money. And I guess it's the same number over here. No, that 5 to 10% is... It depends on what time period you look at. Yeah, I'm saying over a very long run, if you keep playing no, poker... I, I would say I would say it'll be much less than 5 to 10% in poker as well. Right? Yeah. Because, because I've been playing poker for a long period of time. And... Less than 1% stick. You know, see, if someone's making money. When did you start playing poker? I mean, trading poker business, you know, the kind of skills you require, I think, very similar. Yeah, very similar. So, so all the interests have been developing together of sorts for many years. But uh, poker is more fun, you know, in the sense that it's a good way to socialize. But every time I'm traveling and I get an opportunity, I go sit on a table and, you know, it's... It's just to test myself, you know, in the sense, you know, am I still sharp enough to be playing and etc. But so digressing, yeah, but I know a guy like who was like, he made very well of himself in poker, but he was playing for 12 hours a day yeah. or something like that. It's only after that, <laughs> this enough number of trades or enough number of games happened that he could make anything out of it. No, it's hard. The thing about trading and poker, etc. is that... Actually, even in business, you know, is uh, I think if you make money the wrong way, right, it doesn't stick, right? And the thing is, with, with all of these three things, you can potentially make money the wrong way as well, right? So if you don't have the right process in place. So, you know, like, I'll give you an example. So when I was a sub broker in 2008-9, we had a customer 
who bought deep out of the money call options in 2009 when elections were happening, right? Some two lakh rupees became two crore in a day, right? Wow. You know, and now you'd assume that he had a large outcome, right? He lost it all in one year, and he lost it all in some more, right? Because the person who goes all in on an uncertain event, that's making money the wrong way. And even if you made money the wrong way that way, it'll not stick. And you can you've seen this in business as well, right? As in you know people who suddenly got unlucky to build a business in a certain way, then losing it all because the way they built the business itself was wrong, right? As in, so you know I, that's why I keep saying it's harder to make money trading than buying day trading, uh, day trading yeah. than uh, you know day trading or doing active futures and options trading. Uh, it's easier to actually make money buying lottery tickets than. So, so by the way, people have done studies even on lottery wins, and people go back to where they were within a year or right. so. so. But but the odds there are much higher that you are not going back, right? Because okay, you know, say assuming you know you put one lakh rupees and you had a lottery of, you know, or say two lakh rupees and you had a two crore lottery, it's unlikely that you're going to use all the two crores and buy lottery out of it. You'll probably use some of it you'll by a house, it. you know, you'll probably go buy a car or whatever, right? But traders, you're going to bring that money back. Because you want to make the two crore more. Now it's really what gets you to start trading, right? I mean, trading. One aspect of trading is about making money, but the second aspect is a thrill, right? It's a dopamine hit that you get out of doing it, and it's very addictive. And um, yeah, so I think I usually, you know, I don't know if I should be saying this as a broker, but I keep talking about it that the biggest rule of trading has to be, you know, is to know when to stop trading. And because trading is a high skill game, you know, it is. It's like playing music for a living or playing a sport for a living, right? And not every person who picked up a cricket bat became such an intelligent, right? Doesn't you know? You need to have had the skills. Even if you decide to practice, I don't know, 20 hours a day. If you don't have the genetic lottery of sorts, it's uh, you know, you can't you can't change yourself. So is it really this genetic lottery, or there are some skills? I've heard you say that. Your brother Nikhil is very proficient at trading, right. and at some point you asked him to continue with that right. while you took the other part of the business. Right. So, is it because he know optimally when to stop, or he know to use the information better, or it's a mix of all these? No, I think. See, the thing is, it's like I I, I don't think there's a cut copy paste. You know, in the sense there is no one perfect trader in the sense who's got all these skills, right? I think it's just people who have figured how to be as rational as possible. When induced to volatility, right? Because you know the thing about trading is it's being, like being on a roller coaster. Right? You'll have ups and downs, ups and downs. One, can you remain rational in those points, right? And that is, I think, comes out of genes and experience as well, right? As in, you should have experienced some of this. Like uh, you know, people who get very excited when they make money, they're going to get very disappointed when they lose money, right? And if you have that volatility, yeah. it's very hard for You to survive trading for a long period of time, and if someone starts trading, you know it's unlikely that you're gonna make money in three months, six months, one year, right? It's like think of it as you had to play T20 every day for 20 years of your life. Of course, it's exciting to play T20 one day, two day, three days, but can you actually survive 20 years of life playing like a high intense cricket game every day? Most cricketers wouldn't. So if you have to think of the win loss percentage, it would be what you win 55 and. Yeah, I mean the good ones. Yeah, good ones are that. You know, I think you know if I were to think about trading, I think one of the mistakes a lot of retail traders do is not bet size, right? Which is you know they're constantly trading with the same amount of money, right? Trading is about you know 99% of the time sitting and trading small amounts, 
and, and then one percent. Yeah. So the fact that you know, so even you know that your odds of being right is fifty to sixty percent, if you're a good trader. But in that that ten percent delta, when you're right, you know, you need to be making more. So, so this is like this eighty twenty rule that maybe your twenty percent of the trades would make you, of course, a no. significant yeah, part. Of it, it is, you know, it's and and the problem is if you're not doing that and you're constantly keeping betting at the same thing, even if you're right sixty percent of the times you'll, you'll you'll net be down because I told you there are trading costs, there are impact costs, there are charges, all of this story about. But it's a double edged sword, right? If you are wrong at that time and you think you are right, right, you're also no, going I mean, to lose. No, of course. See, the thing is, there is no going all in. trading you know i mean i don't i don't think it's a smart idea because you know then you are subjecting yourself to a lot of emotional volatility and and you and if that is a strategy you will keep subjecting for long periods of time you will burn out you know it's it's a yeah. like a, it's a high intense high stress game so no i'm saying the way you know if i if i were to today tell a person you know who's starting off trading i mean a good rule would be 90% of the trades take maybe 1 to 5% of the you know whatever is the capital on the trade the remaining 10 to 20% of the trade maybe 5 to 25% of your capital so it's never 100% of your capital right okay it's never that you know especially for someone who's doing very active trading you know which is day trades or futures and options trading but yeah it's um, um, otherwise it's it's really hard you know if 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 you're not taking larger bets every once in a while It's really hard. I mean, it comes back to poker. Then you'll again. go back to the mean again, and you're yeah, basically yeah. where you started. Yeah, like you know, in poker, right? As in, you're, you know, you keep putting your blinds, right? You keep yeah. seeing the flop. Every once in a while, you get a good hand. At that time, you say, you know what? I'm going to play a conservative. It won't work. It won't work. It doesn't happen. You know? So, in, even in business, it's the same thing, right? I mean, as a business, every day I'm taking, you know, like I think about everything I do at Zeroda as, as a betting frequency. As in, you know, what are how frequently am I doing attempting new things? How frequently is the business trying to do taking up newer initiatives? Um, because if you're not doing it, that means you're not even in the game, right? Yeah. And you know, so you need to keep improving, keep doing something different all the time. And every once in a while, you'll find this one thing that seems to be clicking, and you have to double down on it, right? As in, it's. Uh, I think that's it's really. I, I think you know you can probably extrapolate it to all walks of life, and it'll probably you know. So it's really about risk taking, but. How has your thinking about risk changed over the years? No, I mean, I was quite dumb when I started. You know, so I've blown up twice, and uh, so I've you know blown up means what? Blown up as in no, I borrowed money, lost it, borrowed okay. from the wrong kind of people, so I had to you know kind of find you know different kind of jobs to make good of the money borrowed. So I think I think two thousand, uh, my toughest times in my life was probably two thousand one to two thousand four five, but I think that. I mean, after coming through it, I think I'm. Um, I, I think in my mind, the framework is really to figure the risk before doing anything, right? Like figuring out the worst case outcome even before you do anything. It's just not you know about trading. It's about business. It's about almost every walk of life. And what I've realized is, you know, at least with me, if I know the worst case outcome, I'm more rational when you know things don't go as planned. Right? You know, otherwise, if you go in feeling very optimistic about everything. <clears throat> you know, you 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 know, if something suddenly bad happens, you, yeah. you you panic, you can react, you can be irrational, and I think you know when I think about generally, you know, I, so, I have so many people who run businesses, etc. I think you know, looking across, I think the ones who have done well are the people who found a way to remain rational when volatility hit them, right? And you know, people who are not that haven't really you know done well as a as a you know, if I were to look at my friends as a group, 
So it's just not me, you know, I can, I mean, different people do it in different ways, but the way I think about it is, is just to define the worst case outcome before everything, you know, and that's my max risk. But have you become better at identifying risk over a period of time? Of course, yeah. yeah. And uh, like everything, you know, if I'm doing this right now, I would have thought about what's the max risk out of this, right? And, yeah. and, and it's become like a framework now. And the problem with this is you, you tend to, you know, like my wife keeps talking about it, that I've become maybe a little uh, less emotional you know, because, you know, I'm always constantly, you know, with everything I'm just defining, oh, is this a max? Because, you know, maybe in personal relationships, etc., you need to be rational at some times, right? You know, because if all times, you know, you're behaving like this robot, you know, who's got everything like, you know, sorted, right? It, it doesn't, uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think uh, it's definitely helped me professionally for sure. Uh, and how does it translate to, I mean, generally I've seen like sometimes you've given advice about diversification. And so if someone is starting out trading, how should they think about this question? Yeah. See, the thing is, I, I think, so, okay, so the first thing I would say, right, is that when people think about trading, you know, most people think of trading as trading stocks. I've said this many times, you know, I think it's trading time, right? It's about trading your time to do what can have the maximum outcome for the effort input. If that's trading stocks, you go trade stocks, right? If I'm skilled football player, I should be putting that time trying to be a good football player. You know, if I'm a musician, I should be doing that. So trading isn't just about yeah. day trading and you know, trading stocks. I mean, now, so, so I think the real, like, you know, I have an eight-year-old son and my challenge with him is to figure out what his, that trade that he enjoys, right? Which is, you know, which means that you have to go attempt a bunch of things to figure what is that you really like, enjoy, etc. Right? And so, yeah, so I think, I think the first thing is that, is that, if you figure what is that you enjoy and you're going to spend a lot of time, your chances of having a good outcome is better, right? Versus trying to put time in something that you don't care about, right? You know, if, if I've done all right in life, it's because I got lucky to pick up a, a trade that I'm probably decent at and which I enjoy. And I but that's not diversification. You are going all in. And I guess most of us do that at least with careers. Correct. Yeah. So, which is, uh, which is what I was trying to get to as in, if you're not trading it, if you're not really in a, thinking of this as a trading your time, right? And uh, where you know you've spent some time to identify what you're good at and you're doing it just to figure stuff out. I think at that time, it's a good idea to diversify. Like, you know, right now for my son, I, I'm trying to get him to attempt five, six different things to, to let him figure which, what is that he likes to do, right? A portfolio of stocks is exactly like that, right? As in, you can't figure you know, what stock will do well, right? As in, it's, it's almost impossible. If someone's say, claiming that they know which company will do well, they're bullshitting, you know? I mean, there is, it's like, you know, it's, it's impossible for someone to call that. And I've done this for 25 years. If you were to ask me, Nathan, tell me one company that will do well, I'll say, I don't know any, right? As in, yeah, so if, if someone is getting into trading stocks, right? As in building a portfolio, et cetera, then I think, you know, diversification is a good idea. But if it is, what do you call If I mean, it, it, it works okay as long as it's not the only thing that you're doing. Because, like say, I have a job and by the side I'm, I'm having a stock portfolio. That has to be diversified. That cannot be concentrated. Right? But my job is my trade, actually. Right? Because that's where I'm giving most of my time. So I'm saying what I was trying to get to earlier was that trading isn't, I don't think people should look at trading as only trading stocks. You know, I think the framework should be that it's a, it's a time that you're giving and, and you should be giving 
time to wherever you know you think you can have a larger outcome for the time and effort you're putting yeah but but coming back to stocks you know people who come to zeroda I mean, i i usually say that maybe the first stepping stone the right stepping stone for most indians is maybe not even stocks it's maybe fixed income fd <laughs> not even fd i mean i'm saying not fd i'm i'm talking something which is between fd and stocks lower risk than stocks but higher return than fd so maybe corporate bonds something like that you know like something 2-3% more than whatever. But I think you said a very interesting point over here. When you bring in this view that everything is a trade, yeah. going for a job. Yeah. If you are trading and not completing your education properly, yeah. then probably you are harming yourself right. in some sense. Right, right. So it kind of builds on that. Sorry, I was just digressing. <laughs> but I think it's it kind of fits in that entire architecture of right. thinking about diversification. Correct, yeah. No, but you're also right, as in, which is, uh, you know, what you're trying to allude to, I guess, is to say that, if you're not concentrated how can you have large outcomes in life yes right it is i mean the thing is if a person is having a side portfolio that is not where he'll have the largest outcome in life yeah. right his outcome will come from where he's giving most of his time to which is his work or profession or job or business or whatever that side portfolio is a good way to give him return on whatever is making out of his main trade right and and that has to be diversified because that's not his only thing now if there is a person whose only job is to sit and trade then it's okay for him to be concentrated into a single stock because he's not doing anything else because he's sitting and just okay. doing that own, only thing like zeroda is my concentrated my personal portfolio is still a diversified bunch of stocks but i don't think of that as a trade i think of what i do at zeroda as 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 a trade you know so yeah so but but to have really large outcomes at least with people whoever i know you need to take concentrated bets Right, so this brings to, I mean, I wanted to bring Charlie Munger today as well, and I guess uh, he just passed away, so he was a great uh, investor, and you read him quite a bit. Right. And both him and Buffet have always talked about taking concentrated bets, right. while the entire finance that we teach at ISB is about diversification. <laughs> right, right. But you're saying both point of view can be synthesized together. Right. They are trading full-time, that's their only activity, so there it makes sense. But for someone who is not an active trader, but doing a daytime job, for them probably diversification. Yeah, is the I mean, optimum. the thing is, Munger and Buffet are, are the only job is to invest, right? So they can take concentrated bets on stocks, right? Because that's that's their primary profession. I mean, that they're, they're what they're doing itself is yeah. is the is a living, you know. So, but someone who's got a job and he's going to say, "I'm going to take a concentrated bet by the side in an investment," it doesn't it doesn't add up, you know. It's just a high risk. you know maybe you can do it early in life but you know as you grow older you know responsibilities go up it'll be very hard to kind of stick through that kind of a portfolio building i think most people should look at their investment portfolio or trading portfolio as you know a place where you know whatever financial outcomes they're having other ways you know has a more optimal returns of sorts and not really look at it as a primary source of uh, of generating trying to generate income you know so and i guess people get less risky as these family responsibilities grow over a period absolutely, of time absolutely yeah absolutely as in it's uh, it it becomes harder over time you know like uh, this is something i keep thinking uh, if i started zeroda when i was 40 could i have started zeroda at 40 unlikely you know so it's just okay. you know it's just the kind of risk that we have taken in life you know uh, when you're younger it's unlikely that i would have been able to take once i was married or once we had a kid etc what's <laughs> the biggest risk you took when zeroda itself You know, I mean, in the sense, I mean, I, it panned out, yeah. So right. exposed, it looks. Yeah, it now. I mean, like I said, see, the thing you is, you can rationalize it. Yeah, but back in the day, you know, we started Zeroda at 
one of the worst times for broking industry uh, historically because 2010 was really the worst times for broking as an industry and a lot of people said it's foolish to be thinking about starting a business at bad times in hindsight it's the smartest thing that we've done but back then it is is borderline foolish you know so and to be you not know, to be taking that kind of risk and uh, but yeah it it played out so now it looks you know yeah very smart but <laughs> oh, by the way we have a lot of finance research and econ research which says that best companies come during recessions yeah you know people <laughs> most you make the bed during recessions and it's likely to come you no know, i mean i've i've seen it play out as well right yeah. because we started in 2010 the first real competitor who you know who even acknowledged us was maybe 2016 right it means it took 5 6 years for someone and and the reason was because it was a bear you know like a phase where the market wasn't really growing like if it was a like a bull market like right now you know if we had started now you know in 10 days there would have been another broker saying you know what oh this is you know like he's getting customers let me do this very quickly timing is i think is everything to life you know so <laughs> you know like a uh, lo- lot of outcomes in life is about you know being at the right place right time you know so and, and so one thing and i guess i'm like completely going diagonally opposite to what you are talking right now that you talk about timing quite a bit and if i can quote like specifically from one of your posts you said that we believe that most successful businesses were those lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time with products and initiatives suited to the market demands of that era i think you are the most generous in some sense no i mean if someone saying otherwise they're i know smoking what <laughs> you know so now because i know a lot of businessmen today and of course see the thing is you know like usually when i say something like this right as in luck is so important so i usually also have like you know like youngsters today they come and ask you know how can you say this and how can you say luck is important you know, isn't isn't it hard work etc but i say it's not because it's it's timing is everything to life and i say and i usually share this framework around saying this is how i think about luck is that your odds of getting lucky increases the longer you survive in the market doing whatever yeah right? i mean if i because see the thing is zaroda's i mean i started trading in 97 98 zaroda financially etc you know started doing well only in 2016 17 so in my head i think it took 20 years for me to get lucky right no so that's when the market realized you're lucky but in your head when did you feel that okay no, this I mean, is something it's no i mean i was enjoying the journey otherwise i wouldn't have see the thing is the other thing is how do you survive long enough to get lucky is that you do something that you like love to do right if if i was not doing broking and i was doing i don't know some pharma distribution would i have survived 20 years trying you know and gotten lucky maybe not right because i would have probably gotten frustrated and dropped off right so the second thing about luck is that is that one is you need to survive long enough but to survive long enough you should be doing something that you enjoy right because then you know your odds of surviving long enough kind of yeah. increases and then i think and it look cliched but i you know i also kind of realize that the more people want you to get lucky the higher the odds of you getting lucky right that means you know if you're, you know just being a decent human being is underrated right as in just you know like because you know I mean, business schools yeah. and movies. You know, they've all turned out this, and they made this. Ah, uh, don't say anything bad about ISB. <laughs> not just, not just ISB, but I think every business school. Like, you know, this whole thing that you need to be cutthroat. You need to, you know, yeah. do whatever. You know, to prioritize business over everything else, right? As in, just optimize hell out of every single. No, but thing. if you're not Sadhguru and you go and say on Twitter that you know hustle is not important, it would come to you. <laughs> no, no, hustle is important. Hustle is absolutely important. Every day is a hustle as a businessman, but luck is also important. being like i'm saying you no know, my my thing here was that just being a decent person right saying yeah. trying to you know trying to do good for your customer trying to do good for your team 
etc right isn't thought anywhere of course right because you know it's always do what is right for the business and the problem is every time you think about doing right for the business as an economic outcome i can tell you that every single decision if i prioritize for the customer for the for the business which is how much the decision makes max revenue for the company it's inversely related to how good it is for my customer i can't think of too many things that i can do i mean we economists can rationalize almost everything so like retaining customers over a long period of time then probably what you are doing is rational in the long run right but in the short run maybe that's Correct. never rational yeah it's not uh, and that's that's you know like i said if see the thing about zerodha that i'm most excited about is the fact that we haven't spent a single rupee on marketing and advertisement till date right and uh, and the only reason that has happened is because our customers have wanted us to do well right yeah. and the reason they wanted us to do well is because we've been behaving decently with them right as in yeah. it's you know in the sense we have like the way it's rather the way we think about the customer is that we will never do anything to the customer that will not want done to us right i mean i hate spam emails i hate spam push notifications so i'm like you know would i ever do that to my customer i won't i mean right of course it means short term loss in revenue but but that's you know i mean this is important for us right as in like i said you know but that framework has helped us get lucky right the fact that you know we didn't have to see thing is in in most consumer businesses in the country the biggest cost is a cost of acquisition right people spend between you know in our industry between 2 to 3000 rupees acquiring a customer if you spend 2 to 3000 and acquiring a customer and the customer comes to you you now need to figure ways to earn that money back from the customer right and you will potentially push upsell missell whatever right as in all of those chances for us the sweet spot is that as in we charge 200 rupees on account opening so our cac is a negative 200 rupees we actually make 200 bucks on every customer so when a customer come to us there is no i need to get him to transact i almost get no emails from you yeah i mean of other than the whatever mandatory yeah you know regulatory, regulatory emails. emails you know yeah. we don't every once in a while i might have a business updates but you would have never received anything saying buy this or sell this right i know that if i send one buy this or sell this you know we'll probably do a bunch of revenue but but is there something is there an advice i can give to all our customers which will right we all our customers no yeah. right because it's impossible and if some you know some platform is sending a push notification to all the customers who are risk profiles are so different you know it's like you know like a a doctor sending everyone saying buy paracetamol without knowing you know who needs what right as in we believe it's not right and 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 the reason i talk about this i mean especially in a platform like this where you know there are probably a lot of future entrepreneurs listening you know so Uh, you know this whole doing right by the customer while everyone says it very few actually do it and and if you do it and you can do it for long periods of time i think you can build a decent brand moat and and i think we are a decent example of that yeah i guess you can already test it by knowing the number of spams that businesses send or automatic yes to I mean, different things when it's all on that it's just so it's zero there right not a single person has a sales target or a revenue target right because i know as soon as you put a target people will try to op- optimize for it right as in yeah. right and in our industry especially if you give target to people it potentially always leads to some kind of a missell right and so yeah so we've taken a stance that we will not do it as in and it it like i said these are different ways of looking at things but what i trying to hint here is the way businesses have been taught to work well and you know operate and get big that is what has worked in the past right but today's generation is very different 
you know, they're more self-aware, you know, they're more connected, you know, if, if something's not right, the word spreads and, you know, something's good, the word spreads too, right? So, so maybe, you know, it's, it's like a decent time to be thinking about building businesses differently, you know, and, you know, um, yeah, so just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> so. so talking about today's generation and thinking again from how the financial landscape has changed, I guess you followed the GameStop saga in the US. What was your key takeaway from there? How social media is coming together with fintech in some sense? Yeah, I mean, see, the first thing, I think our markets are infinitely better than the US markets, you know, in just the market infrastructure wise. So you're saying something parallel would not happen in India at all? No, no. I mean, so see, the thing is in India, okay, if I were to quickly give an example, okay, in the US, say, you know, a similar broker like us is Robinhood, right? So if you were trading, if you're a customer of, I mean, I shouldn't have named them, but say, a, you know, say a company in the US, I'm a broker in the US, right? If you're a customer of a retail broker in the US, you know, if you go park the funds, the funds lie with the broker platform in, in for, forever. So they almost act like a bank, right? Okay. Second, if you buy stocks, by default, most retail brokers in the US have this open a margin account for you. The stock sits in their account, you know, with your street name of sorts, you know, in the sense, they can potentially lend that stock to others as well, right? And so in India, you transfer money to us. If you don't use it, it comes back to your bank account. Yeah, there's some threshold that it has to 30 go days. back. Once 30 in 30 days, days it goes back. Yeah. When you buy a stock, it goes to your DMAT account, at your, you know, where we have no access. Of course, you have a DMAT account through us, but you have it in NSDL or CDSL. So, but we have nothing to do with it. You know, in the sense, even if we go down, the stock lies with you in your DMAT account, right? So. So yeah, so the, one of the reasons for the GameStop issue was really how much it got shorted, right? That means the stocks which are lying with the brokers, they lent it to people who wanted to short it, right? And in India, lending can only happen if you authorize. And that too, you have to do it yourself. You know? In the sense, there is a stock lending and borrowing mechanism in the country, but still very early days for it, uh, not very active. The reason GameStop ha happened was because of that. It was a short squeeze, like a lot of short sellers in the market. And then someone figured that there are so many short sellers and uh, they couldn't buy back the stock and the stock bounced up. You know? So something like that can't happen in India, just given the market infrastructure in this country. So on the technical side of it, it can't happen, but these kind of social media groups coming together. Oh, yeah, that all, is, that is. That's everywhere. I mean, that's everywhere. I mean, uh, Telegram groups, WhatsApp groups, influencers on YouTube trying to peddle stuff, you know, it's a... But is there an optimal way of thinking of regulation around it? Because, or let me ask the question first, are we over-regulated or in some sense it's a optimal mix, mix right now? See, the thing is I'm, I'm conflicted here. <laughs> you don't have to answer this one. <laughs> no, no, I mean, uh, I, I would feel we are, you know, overly regulated, but but if I were to put my shoes in the regulators, I mean, my myself in regulator's shoes, given the you know, the breadth of market intermediaries in this country, the fact that there are thousand plus retail brokers, your rules are not meant only for the top 10 or top 20, right? Your rules are really meant for the entire basket of thousand. So a few rotten apples can really spoil it for everyone else, right? As in, so in that sense, you know, I don't know what I could have done. Like, you know, if I was, you know, I was on the regulator's shoes today, maybe I will also come up with more rules because I want to protect the markets, right? And, and if I want to protect such a, you know, across such diverse and, you know, different types of intermediaries, probably over-regulation is the only way to do it. And, and uh, 
But what the regulators in India have done is phenomenal, though. As in, take 2020, for example, as in, we had no incident, not a single default, right? Nothing, you know, there was absolutely nothing that happened, you know. Like in the US, everything was broken, you know, I mean, like, platforms were down, settlements not happening, you know, all of that was happening, and we, we had almost nothing, right? Almost no incident as such. So, so those regulations are helping in some way, right? As in, but when do you say it's too much versus too little? It's like you were talking about your kid. So you don't <laughs> let them go and play right. outside. Correct, yeah. That's, that's, really, that's keeping them safe. Yeah, Are we at know, that level or it's... So the thing of, of you know, the regulator's mandate in the country is also for capital formation. Right? It's not just regulation. It's also market development and capital formation. Right? So, and in that market development and capital formation, you need to allow some room for innovation, right? Otherwise, you know, if everything has to be, you know, if, uh, regulations that we can kind of stifle innovation of sorts. So, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what's the right answer to this. What's, what's the right level of leniency you had to offer, but... Uh, but for example, you can't go and read Telegram channels and even WhatsApp groups. Uh, how do you regulate it? It's also a tough problem from a regulation perspective. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's, that's a really hard, you know, what's happening through the social media today, for influencers and, I mean, a lot of influencers are doing good job, but, but there is a, that again, you know, like this whole bunch of people that, you know, try to peddle, you know, how you can quickly make money in the markets, you know, sell a trading course, sell stock tips, etc. right? As in, that shouldn't happen. And I think, you know, if you actually look at uh, SEBI, they've taken a bunch of really, like, you know, tough action against some of them recently. I mean, they came up with the white paper and I guess right. we'll know. No, the white paper is one thing, but they've, they've been taking action by the side. By the like, side, okay. Like, I think three really popular influencers who are not doing, following the rules, you know, they've, they've taken strict action against them. And their action taking against them actually has reduced the activity in that space significantly. Right? Especially on platforms like YouTube, etc. Now, Telegram, etc., is, is a rabbit hole. You know, in the sense, it's very hard to even figure who is that person running the Telegram group, right? As in, and there are groups with lakhs of people on it without knowing who's running it, right? How do you actually regulate it? It's, it's really hard. So what we have done at Zeroda is, every time we figure there is some stock being peddled, right? And typically, these stocks that are peddled are penny stocks, have no fundamentals. There is, you know, a lot of times there are small little shops with no business as well, right? And uh, so we have this initiative called Nudge. So it's like a, a user experience on top of a trading app. So every time someone's buying a stock where we think there is a little bit of this activity happening, fraudulent activity, we actually actively nudge the customer saying, you know, do you know this is happening? Maybe it's not a good idea to be buying this stock. So we, you know, we almost- This all you have done on your end. There's right. no SEBI regulation. So anymore. after us doing it, now SEBI has set a mandate so, so exchanges has a category of stocks where, you know, every time they figure that, you know, there's a lot of manipulation happening, they move the stocks to this category. So now exchanges have mandated all brokers to, you know, alert the user. Uh, but we've been running this for three years, you know, so, and, uh, and our thing extends beyond this, just the framework of what exchanges have asked us to do. Uh, and the idea with nudges that we have is, you know, is to go beyond just penny stocks and manipulated stocks, you know. So our idea here is to figure ways to, you know, get customers to do lesser money mistakes, right? And uh, because the only, I think, you know, like a lot of people come to me and ask, how do we make money in the market? And my answer typically usually is, 
there is no right way to make money in the market. The right way is to avoid as much money mistakes as you can, which is diversify, don't go against the trend, don't buy penny stocks, right? If you are taking riskier bets, do it with smaller bets, right? As in bet sizing. So we are trying to incorporate all of these as rules and put it right on top of the trading app. So it feels like it's a part of the trading experience itself. So, you know, for example, if someone wants to buy an iPhone on Amazon and say this person's making 25,000 rupees salary, today the Amazon platform, any platform actually, I don't know why I'm naming companies, but say any platform, you know, will probably tell, you know, Yo, here's a you know, loan for two lakh rupees, right? And 50% or whatever. Ideally, if the platform's doing what is right for the customer, they should say, what are you smoking? Don't buy this. Yeah, that you are less likely to pay it back. Think about it. I mean, you or should maybe like go that. buy a 25,000 rupee yeah. phone, right? I mean, yeah. a guy making 25,000 rupee phone uh, a month shouldn't probably be buying a 2 lakh rupee phone. So, so our, our nudge platform essentially works like that. Is that, you know, when, when we figure someone's trading too much, we, we want to tell him, dude, what are you doing? You know, take a break, right? So, so we're hoping, you know, using this, we can help our customers to make lesser money mistakes. Is this all altruistic? Not really, right? Because uh, I mean, you also want them to stick. I guess people who absolutely. make mistakes, they drop off. Yeah, because if people don't do well, you know, trading, you know, they will. Like I said, I think there, the framework is, you know, is to always optimize for what is right for the long run or what is right for the short term, right? Because if I was optimizing what is right for the short term, we would want this guy to generate as much trades as quickly as possible, right? But you know, which is how a lot of people. Because if you're on a three-month, six-month target. You will always optimize for that three month, six month target, right? And but ideally, you want that customer to be your active customer for as long as you want because every one customer who's active and happy, he's going to probably introduce twenty customers through his life, right? So now you don't just lose your lose your one customer; you probably are losing twenty customers, right? So it's almost, I mean, like the way we think about it at Zero, you know, we talk about this internally quite a bit. Is that I think our biggest priority, the reason we exist as Zeroda is to help our customers do better with the money. I mean, the reasons have evolved over time, but the way we think about it, Zeroda is that, you know, I mean, what's the point of everything if our customers don't do better with the money because we exist, right? As in, so yeah, so over the last one, but two, three years. coming to this regulation, like how far are we from, let's say, a food industry where, you know, every time you eat a chocolate, they tell you what you're consuming. Right. It's the same for stock market as well that, you know, if you go into less diversified portfolio, right. believe whoever tells you, if they tell you that this pizza is great for you. But the general information is still out there, right? Right, yeah. No, I mean, it's a, the thing about trading, right, is that uh, people, majority of the people who start getting trade, I mean, who, who come to the markets to trade, they come out of greed. They come with a false expectation that it's a easy place to make money, right? Uh, so a lot of them don't even spend time like, you know, this, this whole diversification, not going against a trend or having a stop loss. I mean, these all seems natural to someone who's, you know, who's studied and you know, who spent some time around this. But this is not natural for 99% of the people. Like, you know, when a stock is going down, people think they need to average down. And a stock is at 100, it comes to 50. Yeah. They're like, you know, let me buy more. You have behavioral biases. Yeah, right. And, but ideally, you know, should have maybe exited before it fell to 50, uh, you know, but definitely not buy more of it, right? As in, you don't want to be doing it. But did you do this kind of analysis? Like, among the people who trade, do you know that, do all of them think that this is going down for a reason, maybe? <laughs> Stop right. yourself? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very hard for us to analyze, as in, we can't, like, you can't capture feelings of the customer. I see. I mean, the only thing we can capture is their action, like, and the, 
the large big incident was when s bank episode happened because s bank came from 400 rupees to or 10 paisa or whatever right the stock did that journey and at every dip people bought more you know so i'm i'm guessing yeah. you would have to assume there was some bias at play and you know and getting people to actually keep doubling down every time it fell because the problem in the stock market is also that you know even with ipos etc right um, with a lot of you know people tell me it listed at a good price so the the job of the company is done for example the stock ipo price was 100 it listed at 110 it made 10% for the ipo investors but then it came from 110 to 60 so people are like you know why are you worried about 60 it listed at 110 right but the problem is most retail investor gets sucked in the down run right because an ipo anyways no one would have got an allotment you know 10 to 20% of the issue is actually for retail right so every all the retail would have typically come when there is a maximum noise around it right so i think i think like i usually tell this to a lot of my friends who are doing who are going in listing it's you know ipo isn't an end game it's really the beginning of beginning of the life cycle of you know you got a new set of you know people on your cap table and it's just not about getting listing gains it's about how do you consistently create enough wealth out there right so it's also i think the job of the promoter is also to reduce volatility right in the stock i think infosys had done a phenomenal job of that right as in just just disclosing every single thing out there you know and setting the expectations right i think more companies have to do that you know and because then you know because retail investors will do well when there is lesser volatility in the in the companies you know because there is more volatility people buy at wrong times sell at wrong times and so yeah so it's a uh, this is this is another angle as well you know that yeah. and how do you think in terms of the future of participation let's say in the stock market i guess you have what some one and a half two crore participants I mean, there are 10 crore indians who have you know demat accounts there are two and a half three crore indians who have traded once a year in that there are probably around 50 lakh indians who do active trading it is you know trade futures and options or day trade stocks etc now if you look at india as 150 crore population that seems very little but i think india should be looked upon as there are 7 crore indians filing income tax returns and maybe there are 7 crore more indians who aren't doing so assume there is 15 crore indians so your target market is probably 15 crores right and right now right now and and you have 2 and a half 3 crore indians participate i mean 2 and a half and then maybe another 2 and a half like 3 to 4 crores you know including mutual funds so it's not a, you know it's not a bad penetration number you know so of course it can it can it can become much larger right as in there's so much money sitting in bank fds and gold and so on stuff. average when do you think people come into the market they there's a salary threshold that we can put some no it's just to? greed you know so so it, people come to the market when markets are outperforming other asset classes right it's just that i mean it's no, but on average there should be some number no i mean this this time in the last 2 3 years you had a lot of 20 to 25 year old without too much money coming in opening accounts and trading okay right right so it is uh, this time the behavior has been very different but otherwise historically you know if i were to look at markets you know from when i was trading it's usually a 30 plus year old person doing it that means you saved enough money and then it's part of your portfolio now yeah i mean you're you're typically a little late to get started you know i mean generally most people in india you know weren't starting early but i think that behavior is changing you know i think today 21 22 year old kids you know getting out of college are thinking about uh, making money through markets you have any suggestions for them <laughs> stay yeah. for the long run <laughs> i don't know i mean 
suggestions would be, I think, um, I think it would be a good idea to start with the most easiest product, which is a mutual fund. Right? And because it's got a steep learning curve, uh, right? It's not very easy to just decide, you know, get up one day and say, I'll invest in, I don't know, some stock without knowing head or tail about how, the, how everything works. I think it's a good idea to start investing using mutual funds, take five to 10% of whatever, you know, you intend to invest and maybe dabbling in stocks directly and give it some time before you start double down. Because otherwise, you know, what happens is I've seen so many people who get lucky first month of their trading, second month, and suddenly they think, you know, they've found this, you know, like super way where they can you know, make tons of money very quickly. It doesn't work like that, you know, so uh, there are people have streaks, you know, and what I've seen is people have, people who are starting off who are so clueless, they, they tend to be, the odds of them getting lucky is higher. Then when you start becoming knowledgeable, right? Because when you become knowledgeable, you are now using Then it's your, difficult to trade. <laughs> <laughs> then, you are, you know, then you are trying to use your brains and, you know, uh, so, so if you were to pick people who will start trading the first two, three months of their trading life, uh, the odds of them being lucky is much higher than later because they're just being, you know, their ignorance is actually helping them. And what's going on in the options market? Like India is probably one of the biggest markets there. Generally, you wouldn't want people to right. start trading. What makes it so popular among Indians? Yeah, it's, it's just that the options you can, like, you know, I told you that incident from 2009 when our customer made two lakhs into two crores overnight. That kind of outcome can't happen in anything other than an option, right? So, uh, it, but it's an illusion though, as in it's, uh, you know, because an option has a time value. It's like that lottery ticket, right? As in your lottery, you have to hit in the next lottery. As in you can't just hold that lottery ticket forever. It's not like buying a stock and saying, you know, it will at some point of time, in you know, you're fighting time when you're buying options. I think the, the reason people get sucked into option is that, is that a small amount of money, it kind of creates an illusion that you can have a really large outcome. Also, I think, you know, some of this whole social media of influencer agenda has also, is also a reason. And because a lot of them have gone out there and produced content making it seem like anyone can trade options and anyone can make money, right? So one of the reasons I am very actively, you know, going out there and talking about how hard it is to trade options is because you want the customer to come trade with the right expectations. Right? And it's, it's important because he'll not be disappointed. And right? if he comes with the wrong expectation, he'll get disappointed. He'll not just stop trading. He'll go around 20 people and say, you know what, it's a scam yeah. or something like that. Do they tell that though? I'm not sure. No, I mean, the younger crowd. Yeah, maybe you can post it on social media, but I, I mean, guess not even social media. See, this, this, no one's. This happens, you know, over tea, over coffee, over lunch, over a beer, right? Where you, you know, where you have sob stories to say, right? And then you are, you know, kind of influencing someone. To, it's not just about options now, right? You're influencing that person to think about capital markets in a different way, right? And uh, and that's happened every, you know, after every bull market, right? Like, you know, I still remember 2008, nine, you know, like. Everyone around me were calling me up and saying, Nitin, are you all right? And you know, like, like, you know, why are you in this business of fraud? And you know, like, you know, because really, okay. yeah, you know, because there was, you know, a lot of things that were melting down in 2009, you know, after, after the whole financial crisis time in right? 2008 and 9. So, so yeah, so it's, uh, but there's some rule for regulation here. So I think what the regulator has done till now is in, is, is, uh, is to firstly set the expectation, which is, we are now all asked to display how, how, what percentage of customers make money. So 9 out of 10 lose money while trading options. 
so at least you're setting that expectation. But the thing about us humans is that we'll somehow believe that we are that one out of ten who will make money, <laughs> right? So uh, yeah, it's one out of ten chance. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think regulator is going after people who are producing content that are setting right expectations, or that setting uh, unreal expectations, which is which is good again, right? Uh, should there? I think this is a thing that you know, the generally people talk about. You know, should there be some kind of product suitability framework? You know, if there was a minimum net worth that was required to trade options or futures or intraday, I wouldn't have been able to start my career. Yeah, you want those people to come out as well. Yeah, I mean, in the sense, you know, India is a poor country, as in you can't just you know leave out a large audience just because we think it's not the right product. So the thing is. I think about trading and business very similarly. Right? I think that's a very important point because we want to pro protect so much that right. sometimes we are blindsided right, right. by that. There's also some benefits which are coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, you like, like I said, if there was a rule like that, I wouldn't ever started my career in trading and options or trading intraday, etc. I would have probably found a job, and there would not be a company like this today, right? As it, and the thing about trading and business, running a business, starting a business, are very similar, right? Like you know, if I look at startups around me, out of every 100 startups, maybe one has actually survived over the long run. And that's really the same odds with trading as well. As in every out of 100, maybe one survives yeah. doing well over a long period of time. So there is no difference in starting a business, you know, in terms of just the outcomes. The problem with trading though is that it's just so easy to start trading that, you know, it's just the number of people who can get impacted is much larger than the number of people who want to start building a business. Because starting building a business requires a lot of time and effort just to get it started. Yeah. Like if everyone could just start a business just by clicking a button, I think there would be a lot more businesses yeah, signing in. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so yeah. So it isn't easy. Uh, but but I think I, I I don't know. But are you thinking of some soft nudges on this side as yeah, well? Yeah, we are. I mean, at Zerodha, we've already been doing this. I mean, even before the regulatory requirement of disclosing what percent. I mean, every single communication. You know, if you look at any blog post of mine. We have been very actively talking about this, which is just setting the expectations right. We run some of the largest education initiatives around, you know, on, on trading right and etc. You know, through our city, we keep trying to nudge people to say, you know, what you should. And now with nudges, the platform itself, our idea is that, which is, you know, even why does a which is an option trader lose money, right? It's because he's over leveraging. For a, not just futures and options, even a day trader, right? Leverage is the first thing, right? Because everyone wants to be always, the whole bet sizing concept isn't there. Everyone wants to be max, you know, if I have one lakh rupees, I want to take max leverage every single trade. It doesn't work, you know, you're just one slip, you know, away from just blowing up, right? As in, so, so even for very active trading, there are a bunch of rules to follow, right? As in, you know, a friend, you know, we were talking about it, you know, in poker, for example, every once in a while, you'll go on a tilt, right? As in, like, you, nothing's working, right? And you know, at that time, if you are, if there's a friend on the table, the thing what he'll say is, do take a break, right? Just go out, you know, spend some time, and then come back because that's really the only way to get around it, right? So can you be that person, right? As in, if someone's trading and suddenly having a bad run, can you just say, dude, take a break? Because you know, once you're in that whole rabbit hole, once you are in that you know, down run of just, you know, your your decisions. Because I guess the pressure also increases once you start yeah. losing. And then you you know you know how people are, right? As in. They want to make up for the losses very quickly, so you're you're become more aggressive. You start, you know. So it's all these behavioral biases that really affect traders. I mean, trading isn't really about the trading strategy itself. It's all about how do you manage your money, emotions. You know, it's just that. And 
and if there is, you know, like usually when people come to me and they say, I want to learn trading, I, I'll say, you know, probably go play some poker because, you know, it will probably at least introduce you to, you know, the whole concept of how you react under, you know, under, under this whole emotional roller coaster of sorts. You know? So I'll again go back to maybe the business Zerodha and ask you how many trades are executed on your platform, let's say, every second, every minute? I mean, it is uh, tens of thousands, you know, uh, of orders. You know, so in India, the markets are open for a six, six hour, fifteen minutes, and typically the most active the markets are the first thirty minutes and the last thirty minutes. So majority, you know, maybe thirty, thirty-five percent of the business happens in that period. So yeah, in that concentrated period of time, there's a lot of activity in the market. You know. Do you have any favorite statistic which you thought is crazy? <laughs> No, I mean, right now, Zeroda, everything seems crazy, you know, like uh, yesterday we were looking at uh, our AUM growth, which is you know, the, the number of the assets that our customers have in a demand account. It was 10,000 crores in 2020. It's 360,000 crores today, <laughs> you know, so, and I mean, what is mind blowing about this is, you know, that our customers trust, us. I mean, in the sense, while they don't keep those securities with us, but they're still trust a platform like us to, you know, to use that to, you know, keep those securities. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite mind blown. I, I would have never assumed that we would have been able to garner this much trust so quickly because, uh, you know, like traditional banks or also brokers, they've taken like 20, 30 years before, you know, being able to actually build that trust. So other than being at the right point at the right time, right product mix, on the technology side, what do you think really helped Zerodha where it is today? See, the thing is, we started off as a financial services firm, but today we think about ourselves as a technology firm. And and I'm not a technologist, no, I'm, a, I'm a business guy, you know. And so for me, I think my biggest tipping point in my life was finding Kailash, who's our CTO, and he joined us in 2013, 2014. And around him is the whole tech journey, right? Because until him, it was, you know, we were generally on vendor products. So I think on the tech side, I think a bunch of things that we got right was, so everything at Zeroda is FOSS. It's completely free and open source. I didn't really get it when K is a big proponent of FOSS. You know, everyone, every single person on our tech team has some pet hobby FOSS project by the side. And I, I, I actually think FOSS is maybe one of the truest forms of art where you build something and just give it away for free, right? As in, because otherwise, you know, there's always a commercial intent behind doing everything in life, right? So it's like, you know, think of yourself as an artist who draws something and just puts it up for everyone to appreciate, right? As in, like that. So. So yeah, so I think this whole having a FOSS strategy has meant that you know, as we scale the business, the cost didn't catch up at all, right? We have no enterprise deals. There is, you know, I'm on Linux, by the way, you know, and they, you know, the tech team, like the entire company is on Linux now. And so we don't even have to pay any, you know, like Windows no or, Microsoft <laughs> or Apple payments. licenses, you know. Yeah. So um, I thought it would be tough to be on Linux, but I was so surprised that, you know. It's I, faster. I mean, so I don't know if it's fast, but I, I'm not really missing out on anything, yeah. right? So um, plus, it looks cool. No, I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> think people, are, no, others can figure. Not anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. ten years ago, people who would work on Linux. It's like oh ah. no, no, now we have all those skins which are very, yeah, which make it look yeah. like Windows anyway. So but I guess the old ones, uh, they still use like yeah, I mean, yeah, command, command prompts and, and all of that. Yeah. So uh, so when we uh, 2015, you know, when we put out Kite, which is a web app, mobile app. I think the first thing we did was before we put out the app, the tech team, I mean, Key and the tech team, you know, I think 
they launched a bunch of APIs that allowed for startups to come build on top. I mean, they, they allowed for any platform to come build on it. And you know? so that was not just Kite Web and Mobile. It potentially allowed for startups to also come build on top of us. So I think in tech, I think that was a very smart thing that we did because that allowed us to invite startups to come build on top of us. So then what, what it meant was our customers didn't not only got access to Zerodha's own products, but they also got access to the ecosystem of products that are built, being built on top of us, right? As in, then I think with tech, the most important thing was the fact that we scaled well, right? It's just ridiculous the amount of transactions that go through the platform today on a daily basis, the amount of contract notes we send. How, the thing about our business is, is uh, everything is happening in milliseconds. Right, as in, you cannot be slow. You, can, you know, the fact that there are millions of orders being executed daily, and we have done a decent job of it. You know, in terms of, of course, you know, there's always scope for improvement, but uh, you know, in terms of our uptimes, in terms of everything, and so, so yeah. So I think, I think just the tech working at scale itself is, you know, I think is a is a phenomenal job that is done by the team. And do you think there's scope for other players to come in the market because we are what? two, three crore people who are actively trading. I guess if you look over 10, 20 year period, it should be some no, I, see, 30, is, 40 yeah, crore. If, I don't know if there's a scope for another zero that kind of a platform. Right? I mean, there are enough out there, isn't right? You know, I think, but there is a scope for platforms who are thinking, thinking differently, right? If it's gonna be another platform, which just looks and feels like us, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't see why some. You know, There's not much value addition. Yeah, there is no. I mean, I think that bus is gone. So I think the next person who comes around the scene has to think of this differently, right? And that's why you know, through Rain Matter, you know, we we even seed that idea, saying that you know we are okay to have our skin in the game, and you know we invest anywhere between two to I think now our check sizes have gone to 25, 30 crores in companies, saying you know we are you know let's figure out what is this thing that can help Indians do better with money. Uh, I think. So if you can tell a little bit more about Rain Matter. So this is a... Oh yeah, this, is, this started in 2016, you know, when I said we launched this bunch of APIs. So the first few startups who came to us, we realized they also needed capital. And uh, so we said, you know, why don't you take it from us? And now we, we called it as Rain Matter, the fintech fund, you know, and, and then... The, is that a play on the name over here as well? Oh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> Not this one, okay. <laughs> no, in the sense... It, it's, it, you know, me and Kailash, we had gone to a Cisco cloud conference and there was a cloud chief, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, no, he was calling himself cloud maker, uh, you know, and then I was like, oh, he's cloud maker, I need to be rainmaker. And then, you know, just in that fooling around, you know, <laughs> then the name happened. So, uh, so yeah, so it started today, it's a, it's a portfolio of 100 plus companies. Uh, it started as a fintech, you know, soon extended into, you know, into health. I'm passionate about, you know, like I'm saying, you know, I'm think, I'm, I think, you know, when you talk about wealth, uh, it does just doesn't end with money in finance. It, health is an important aspect of it as well. So, so it, you know, we are also investing in companies and helping startups who are trying to make it easier for Indians to make healthier choices. Then uh, we set up the foundation in 2020. Uh, we call it Rain Matter Foundation, and uh, where we have started like a thousand crore allocation, saying that we will help the social sector attempting for climate problems. And uh, and climate problem is a broad problem in the sense it ranges from food to education to it. it kind of intersects everywhere. But I mean, our framework there is we think, you know, like how for profits can solve for some problems. Social sector can also attempt to solve some of the problems. And uh, the reason we need a social sector is because, you know, it's really hard for a government to be solving, 
you know, it's, it's really hard to be running. I mean, I don't even know how it works, right? How, how can people actually run a country? Because I find it, it just so runs on its own. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, how, I, I guess you have APIs in place and then maybe yeah. that helps. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, so the way that we think about social sector is we get them to experiment, you know, prototype stuff, make it work, and then go showcase to government and see if government can actually scale it. Right. And uh, so, yeah, so when we started doing uh, to the foundation, helping startups working in this space, we also realized there are for profits in the climate space as well. So, so yeah, we, we started investing there as well. So, yeah, so 100 plus investments, I think, we have, until now, I think allocated like 500 plus crores right now for for profit. If you can name a few that you think are really doing well or yeah. which you really care about. So, in the fintech, you know, the first few ones that we invested, small case. You know, has built a thematic investing platform. There's Sensible, who's built up an you know, option trading platform, Streak, a backtesting platform. I mean, ah, so these are all part of the real okay. I mean, they're all integrated at Zeroda, so it feels like you're actually okay. looking at. I see. You know, it's all Zeroda's product, but they're not. They're all they're standalone companies, and they're doing quite well on their own. And um, in um, in health, I mean, I have a sweet tooth, so some of the problems. <laughs> I mean, like oh, the first problem actually was. Every time I fly in the airport, right, I want I want to eat something, I want to snack on something. I couldn't find a decent snack in the sense which is, I don't feel guilty about eating, right? I think now in Bangalore airport there's a salad bar, but you know, but there was nothing, you know, there was really you know your chips or biscuits or whatever, right? And so we ended up investing. The first investment I think was the Whole Truth, you know. So they make uh, you know like protein bars, etc. So so that is extended, you know. Uh, we now like the way I think about health is. Is there a way to get Indians to play sports, right? The more sports you play, you know, automatically your outcomes, uh, health outcomes are better. People care what, what they're eating, they're automatically more active. You know, it also helps you in a better spot to be mentally, you know, because playing a sport is probably the best way to tone down your anxiety and stress. So, so we're trying to help a bunch of folks who are trying to get Indians to play more sports. And um, in climate, the biggest one, we have is uh, investment is Akshay Kalpa, and Akshay Kalpa is is actually uh, it's still not there in North, but it's quite popular in Bangalore now and in Chennai and Hyderabad. So, so it's organic milk, okay. but more importantly, what they do is you know kind of nudge the farmers to uh, kind of take more sustainable practices uh, of, of farming, which is so I don't know maybe out of context here, but but generally right the problem with dairy is that. Most cows are tethered to one place through their life. Um, the problem with that is they catch diseases quickly. And the problem with that is the farmers end up putting too much of antibiotics, which shows up in the milk. Right? And antibiotic resistance is right, right now probably one of the biggest problems for humankind. And especially coming from India. Not just India, it's actually everywhere, you know. But yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, because this whole problem, you know, injecting hormones, injecting antibiotics, it's a, it's a global problem in dairy meat industry. And uh, so, I mean, people, we need to create more awareness because then, you know, you'll start questioning how you're sourcing your food, right? So yeah, so Akshay Kalpa, you know, follows more sustainable practices, but most importantly, they put more money in the hands of the farmer. And, and you know, they use every village they go, they try to turn one farmer into a model farmer, you know, then try to nudge, because, you know, in a village, if one farmer is doing well, one family is doing well, others try to tend to copy what is working for them, right? And so, yeah, so uh, it's quite nice there. <laughs> so let's go back to finance and I'll ask you about some of the financial taglines, if it's truth or hype, mm -hmm. okay? First one is mutual fund sahi hai. 
yeah, absolutely so here to get someone started investing in the markets you know so sabse pehle life insurance term insurance yeah because you know life is a very broad term if it's life insurance for investment it's a really bad choice you know if it's life insurance for covering your life which is a term insurance policy absolutely you know so a diamond is forever scam <laughs> the biggest fraud out there you know, so. a gold is forever <laughs> maybe maybe no i think sure i mean like you know in a world full of inflation i think gold still seems to be something you know it's a decent asset class to be in but not when i say gold not jewelry i mean jewelry is a scam right and gold you know, i mean gold as a etf no, but on average if i mean it's tough to put numbers and it depends on your situation where you are in life like roughly speaking for average indian yeah, what percentage of your asset can be in gold and then i mean i think for us as a family it's it's maybe 10 to 15% and it's a, it's a large allocation because um we are personally very worried about inflation and and how about real estate uh i get trolled you know for saying this but i mean i i can't really why real estate is so expensive in this country you know so i don't think see see the thing is everyone needs a home for peace we, of we mind we need another discussion just for that <laughs> why it's so expensive yeah. and looking at something which is not pleasant i mean yeah considering the infra you yeah. know in considering everything else you know i i just i i had gone on a holiday for to europe and i, I mean it's just ridiculous you know how much we i mean it's not even cities i'm saying even and this is a problem for the country itself right as in because of the foundation we work with a lot of people in the social sector working in the villages so a lot of farmers have this notional valuation of their land right i mean if you think your land is worth 25 lakh rupees an acre and that is going to give you 25000 rupees a year will you work on the land you will not you right you will think okay let me sell half an acre every year right as in because it's it's you know you you're going to just chill and and that's a problem you know farmers are just and and this land problem is everywhere as in like you know the first thing that we did as a foundation was pick up a restoration project you know in a place called krishnagiri uh, around 60 70 kilometers from here and uh, a 100 acre kind of piece of land and and this guy quoted as a price he was trying to turn it into a villa community and we said it was adjacent to a forest he said you know we need to stop this from happening and uh, you know and that was like our first we wanted to you know kind of get hands dirty and do some execution ourselves yeah and then i was asking him you know like i was seriously questioning him i said dude how does it make sense for a land here in the middle of nowhere for what you're quoting there's nothing there's no yield from this land there's nothing that grows here like how do you justify right because at the end of the day there has to be some you know like you know a land is like a company right there has to be some dividend out of that you know it can't just be that everyone's going to somehow keep upping the price over a period of time without any dividend out of the other piece of land so so i don't get it i mean everyone needs a piece of property for a piece of mind like a home to live in right that's that's a given right but as investor i'm not sure <laughs> okay it's not uh, hype or truth but iit i am or not <laughs> because i'm going somewhere else because i've heard you talk many times that you don't hire them no it's not i it's see the thing is not like we don't hire them it's just that there are no iitms in this <laughs> in this company and 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 the reason is see when we started the first many years there was not enough money on the table so we couldn't afford any iitms you know i mean because people come with the price tag right as in and uh, so the first few years the culture in the business got built a certain way right and so by the time we could afford people when we started talking a I mean I'm not generalizing you can't generalize every IIT I am to be some same way right say ISB <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah ISB as well right as in but the thing is I think the way MBA schools work right is that 
you know, you get wired to think about where you want to get to life in how much time. Like, you know, like, you know, there is all this goal set as soon as you finish your MBA, right? At, in three years, I'll be this. After two years, I'll be this. In five years, I need to be earning this much money. And, and I have no clue, right? As in, so, you, you know, when someone comes to me and says, Nitin, can I be here in this much time? That's, I can't. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know where I'll be tomorrow morning. How will I tell you where you'll be tomorrow morning? I mean, after three years, right? As in, it's, uh, so I think, I think that, you know, culturally, the way we operate, uh, and it's got nothing against I am, but generally, I think all business schools, you know, when kids come out of business school, they're primed in a certain way. And that we have found hard to culturally fit So we it. have like some people and uh, I talk to a lot of students and sometimes they finish the year and they say, ah, it went so fast. Yeah. And it's amazing. We could have learned so many things, yeah. but we are focused on placements. Yeah. So I guess it's probably some part of that. Yeah, and also, get, I mean, it's, the thing is people are spending a lot of money to do these courses. Right. I mean, they're right in a way, right? I mean, they can't just, you know, come out of this and say, you know what, I'm okay to be in a place which says, dude, you do well, you'll make some money at the end of it. You know, I can't tell you how much, you know, so, because that's really how we work, right? As in, you know, as in, the way we, the, the culture has been, every day we get up, we'll do something better. And wherever we have to get to life, we'll get to, right? As in, there is no goals and destinations. And it's a way to, I mean, businesses can be built different ways. And this can, this is also a way it can be built. And so, yeah, so. Uh, that's that's about. But tomorrow, if someone someone comes around and says something which I is come nice. to ISB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So nothing, nothing inside. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much, Nitin, no, no, for cheers, your time. Cheers, you're leading great initiatives. No, no, uh, I wish you good luck for all of them. And yeah, thank you for your time once again. No, thanks. Thanks. Mm-hmm.